This week on Common Sense with Paul Jacob, Paul started out with one way or another or another, which is about Biden's uh, great cause of liquidating the debt load of students. <laughs> right color only on Tuesday was a bit different. It's the latest case of affirmative action, which affirms nothing but racism in the reverse. Oh, we're not supposed to say that either, I don't think. Then there's allowed to make a living, which is a heartwarming story of Sally Ladd, who beat back the state of Pennsylvania on the issue of business regulation. And then on Friday, Rumble resists. Paul wrote about uh, a case of Rumble resisting the call for censorship by a foreign power. So those are the big stories of the week. Thursday, Paul merely wished you a happy Thanksgiving, and now we're wishing you a happy This Week of Common Sense. That's what this is. I can't believe that I haven't been playing uh, Blondie's song one way or another all week. I thought, my goodness, I can't believe I hadn't done that or pushed to somehow shove that into the, uh, as a link in the script. Well, I should have been playing uh, the version I like by, uh, oh, Kristen Bell from Veronica Mars, I think first season. Is that Hocus Pocus or Hocus something? What? I I noticed when that there was another, Another group somewhere. Oh, I had to redo my thing anyway. When I first did it without putting Blondie in, somebody else came up too. So maybe that was the same thing. Uh, Kristen Bell is blonde, if for what it's worth. I mean, Blondie, the the uh, singer, Deborah. right? And she was famous for uh, something else. She was really big for what? What was her big song? Late seventies, right? Oh, I think her. Big song. It made one way or another. Now I know I'm running blank. She had Rapture, which was sort of an early uh, rap song, at least an early rap song sung by a white woman. Um, and what was the other thing? I wanted to say uh, it's there it was like a Call Me song or something. Okay. See, I don't know the singer that well. I mean, was, was it a singer or a group? Heart of Glass was one of the others, and they do have one that's. I'm cheating now because I'm just googling. But or, or... well, Heart of Glass is the one I like because it has the it has the interesting harmonies. Ah, well, I have a, a little story with with Blondie, which is that I like Blondie, but that my wife, who happens to be blonde, uh, does not like Blondie. And uh, we went to this concert, uh, and it was Elvis Costello, who I love dearly, love, and uh, she likes, but not not anywhere quite the same, but she doesn't like Blondie. And so we made the mistake of being on time. I don't know when I've ever been on time anywhere, but I did it one time and it was a mistake because we had to stand through the Blondie thing. And so today, if anything, like uh, there's some commercial on TV, oh, that's Blondie's song. My wife will go, oh, <laughs> you know, she just recoils. And Blondie made, made her stand up for a long time. So maybe at this point we should mention that you wrote a piece on Monday called One Way or Another or Another. Yes. I didn't want to steal her song title. That's why we added the or another. But actually, uh, that was to emphasize this is about school, uh, school loans, uh, student loans uh, and Biden's effort one way or another or another to forgive those student loans. And we say forgive, they don't really get forgiven. They get they get uh, paid in, in the sense that the government makes up the money, it either borrows it or, it or it taxes it from us. And so 
it is the, you know, it's the hardworking kid that didn't have the money to go to school and went and worked that's now paying extra taxes for the person who was supposed to get a college degree and make all kinds of money and how could anything be any better? But but it's the we're we're gonna give the subsidies, at least Mr. Biden is, to the privileged. We have a society where it seems like again and again there's the complaint about the rich get richer, the poor get poorer, that some people just have an unfair advantage. And then the policy of the progressive left seems to be, let's give more advantages to the rich and take it from the working poor. And that'll somehow make it all, well, it will give them something to bitch and moan about tomorrow. So I guess it, it does kind of fit their their effort. But here, uh, the courts have shut down his absolute, uh, I'm going to just forgive loans. And uh, but for the longest time now, because of the pandemic, you know, that's why we all got drop shipped thousands of dollars, uh, whether we had any financial hit during the pandemic or not. Uh, the pandemic was an excuse for government to do anything and everything. Um, does it have to be connected? Oh, don't be silly. So, uh, so anyway, we now have a uh, system and you know they're fighting on the border about different policies that were put in place because of COVID and you know whether the government can argue that oh we we're still sort of in the pandemic even though we've said the pandemic's over um, and that's that's what's happening with these student loans no one's had to pay any they've been just frozen no payments needed no uh, interest accruing and uh, and of course, that is a subsidy and it is being taken away from other taxpayers. And um, and so something ought to be done about it. It's the sort of thing where if it wasn't for these lawsuits, of course, um, you know, they'd be getting away with all of this. And just as long as you know, I mean, they could it, it, basically if you don't have the wherewithal to go to court, President Biden can do pretty much anything he wants as a complete dictator. Uh, and there's never any punishment. There's never any any uh, any price to be paid for taking. And some of these things are are things like remember Obama saying he couldn't establish the DACA program because that just far exceeds the president's authority. And then he established it anyway, violating his own view of the Constitution. Meaning, if he feels like it, he will violate the Constitution, and he thinks it's fine. And of course, I say that about Obama just because some people will be shocked. But that's true about all of these guys. If you if you obey the Constitution when you feel like it, and you don't when you don't feel like it, you're a crook and a thug. And there's just there's no two ways about that. And we can use nicer language, but why to hide it from people? We can play off dictator and dysphemize that. There was a comment that I thought was was really interesting, and it's from. We could almost call her our nemesis, Pam, who doesn't ever seem to agree with anything. And it seems like, you know, being more libertarian, I, you know, my my views can can skew across the uh, spectrum, <laughs> but it's no use with Pam. And she asks, what is the four trillion dollar question? She says, did you and you is in quotes, so I'm taking that as me gripe when Trump increased the debt by $4 trillion. And I want everyone to just sit and, and accept this statement. 
Yes, I did. Well, yeah. <laughs> a bunch of times. <laughs> Many things you and I say, you know, in private and in other situations so often that maybe you only said it five or six times on This Is Coming. Right? <laughs> right, it may have right. been only that few times. Pam also had the maybe six months, eight months after January 6th, had the statement in one thing that I had written saying, when are you ever going to... You know, and then as people were responding to her, she repeated it. When are you ever going to condemn January 6th? And of course, I, you know, I was busy that day or something. I didn't see it till later, maybe a couple of days later. And so I responded saying, well, I'm sorry for the long delay, but it was January 7th, the morning. In other words, it was the evening of January 6th. And of course, it's not like, oh, Paul, what a what an amazing thing that you were so quick to condemn an attack where people are destroying stuff at the Capitol? I mean, that's not, it, it wasn't like, well, I better do it as much as I really like destroying stuff at the Capitol. I mean, come on, this is, uh, um, and, and it's one thing when you find out your opposition is willing to double down on things that are insane, then it is, you, you kind of point it out and you're, you know, you're beside yourself. But when, the opposition says, no, you're exactly right. I agree. And then you continue to bash them as people who don't agree. Well, then you've got the screw loose. But of course, when I say that, the thought that goes through my head is Charlottesville and Donald Trump. And one of the critical moments of the last five, six years in which Donald Trump says something about there being good people on both sides and then goes on to absolutely clarify it by saying, I'm not talking about neo-Nazis. He's talking about people who don't want every civil war monument torn down. And of course, these people may be just philosophically, politically, intellectually, all kinds of ways deficient and wrong and mistaken. But he's saying they're not bad people. They, they like these monuments. They, they think that these are good things to honor people who sacrificed and blah, blah, blah. We can disagree with them, but, but he goes on to say, I'm not talking about the neo-Nazis and skinheads and those folks are wrong and to be condemned universally, blah, blah, blah. Just as clear as day. Um, and I remember, and we wrote, I wrote a uh, commentary about it uh, as, as uh, Biden announced in, uh, for 2020, because, of course, Biden predicated his running. That's what caused him to run. When he saw what Trump had done and said, that's what caused him to run. And you wonder, well, is he just lazy? He just listens to the media, and that's why he's such a knucklehead? Uh, or... Is he just, you know, lying about it? I don't know. But um, it's it's the sort of thing that that I encourage people to, you know, don't take my word for it. Go to YouTube, uh, maybe on Rumble, which would be even better. We'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, but and go see what he said and then realize that all those times you've heard the media characterize it as saying that the Nazis, they're good Nazis out there and equating what happened in Charlottesville as, oh, shucks, someone got killed, but it's really okay because everybody was a good person or something. Not even close. 
not even close to what Trump said. And and this is not, you know, my effort is not to get you to salute Donald Trump. My effort is to get you to realize you're being lied to and you're being lied to in a malevolent, just sickening way and and with a depth and an intricacy that I don't think most people are aware of. And it's I mean, we're we're in 1984, except we're we're kind of four decades advanced and, uh, and we're. We're fighting the Chai Nazis, but we're fighting the Chai Nazis in our own government sometimes. Uh, and I don't mean that having to do when our in our government having to do with Chinese infiltration, which of course that's happening all the time, and buying off people and having you know Chinese nationals. So I'm talking about uh, folks born in America, bred in America, educated in America, rich, prosperous, and politicians who are in office who are not beholden to China, but who like very much the sort of society that Xi Jinping and the Chinese Communist Party are building, which is a surveillance state in which we get rid of the little niceties of democracy and human rights, and we do what the the big smart people in the big tower on the hill think is the right thing to do. Yes, and if people were at all skeptical about the Chinese element of this story, one of my favorite facts here, or at least I read it in the paper, and I heard no retractions. So, <laughs> now we're all skeptical, yeah, yeah, I'm skeptical already myself. I was, I'm almost taking it back. But when um, that major Chinese defector came in in 2021, he explicitly gave himself up to the DIA, saying that the CIA and FBI were under control of Chinese sympathizers, that they had been they had been hacked, so to speak. They had been taken over by people he couldn't trust. He wanted to be defect to the United States, not to China. So right, he right. gave it to the DIA. And I think most people, well, first, I don't think most Americans know the DIA exists. Uh, but, uh, but it is important to note that there are people in China who think that the CIA and the FBI are part of the Chinese power network, not part of the United States power network. And that's an interesting little, right? whatever right. that is, it's something. Right. It's something to think about. If I were seeking refuge from the Chinese, I wouldn't go to the CIA for it. It's a little bit, you know, if people, I'll date myself, but three days of the condor where uh, F, or a CIA guy, an analyst runs out for lunch out the back door and comes back and everyone's been killed. And then he has the, the whole movies about him trying to figure out a way to turn himself in to the good guys, the Americans, because, of course, they're somewhat compromised. And you think about all the secrecy. Um, you know, once something is secret, one of the problems is you don't know what's going on. So is it a secret, you know, uh, intelligence agency working to protect you or one working to kill you? Well, if it's totally secret... You can think you know, but you don't know, and that's a that's a long way from uh, from from fooling around with student loans. But uh, but what the heck? It's all connected one way or another. Well, you have another uh, kind of hot button issue uh, along lines of between Democrats and the rest of us with right color only the next day. So here we're talking about what we used to call reverse racism and affirmative action. I don't know if either of those are allowed to talk about. You use the word affirmative, the phrase affirmative action in this first sentence. So I thought. 
Yeah, it's um, and, and, you know, of course, affirmative action uh, back in the old days when they were passing some of these affirmative action, anti-affirmative action measures, they always referred to it as racial and gender preferences. Uh, because that's really what it is. Affirmative action, the word affirmative is a very positive word. Action's kind of a positive word. So it's not too surprising that if you put a really nice label on something, it polls a little bit better than if you call it what it is. But but um, that, you know, it, it seems to me, I, I don't know how many years ago it was that uh, uh, Sandra Day O'Connor upheld some of the affirmative action uh, measures and argued in her decision, which is is just a, it's a ludicrous constitutional position, but you can be on the highest court and have a completely sophomoric uh, you know, view of the Constitution, apparently, and be lionized for it. But she basically said that, you know, she thought it would be another 25 years that we would have affirmative action. And how you can uphold something constitutionally and then suggest that 25 years later you would not uphold it constitutionally is to suggest that somehow the Constitution has changed in those 25 years or that you as a Supreme Court justice get to use, you know, the some sort of time machine to come up with your decisions. It's uh, it's outrageous. But this particular thing and, and there's a comment. Uh, someone left a comment mentioning that they're doing the same sort of thing in Los Angeles. And this is certainly not the first, but there is a school district in, in Providence, Rhode Island. And, uh, and this is, it's called right color only. If you go to this is commonsense.org to take a look. Um, and in that district, they came up with this funding plan to basically give $25,000 to to pay off employees, teachers, student loans, uh, if they come to work there. With just one little caveat, um, if you're black or Hispanic, then you get this program. If you're white or Asian, you don't get the program. And one of the things that I, I find interesting about this is that um, you, you you get so much pushback on this. It's not right that Asians are the, you know, considered this model minority and, you know, they've struggled and there's racism against them. And of course there is, but um, you know, there, and there's racism against white folks too. Uh, there's racism all over the place. You know, funny, we live in a, in a less than perfect world, but, but of course, they point out like there's this new group of uh, Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders and, and they're kind of trying to get into the let's, let's uh, make some money off of racism and make it a, a big deal. So they want to include Asians in minorities who need to vote for Democrats, basically. And so they point out all the incidents against them and they sort of just fuzzy it up as if all these incidents are white supremacists out to get the Asians. When it turns out that almost all the violent ones happen to be African-Americans committing acts of violence against Asians. Now, most African-Americans don't commit any acts of violence against Asians. In fact, I'm, I'm more than willing to guess most African-Americans don't commit acts of violence against anybody. 
Um, so this isn't a, oh, don't, don't blame us, blame them. Blame the people who commit acts of violence and have the decency, if you're going to pretend that it's a racial animus, to actually document it. It's it's uh, anybody who's looked into the AAPI st statistics, which are universally used by the media without any analysis whatsoever, which is par for the course. Any study you hear about on television, just realize some scientists may have done a study, but there is almost a zero chance that that's going to be translated to you in what this media report is saying. They just lie. They lie. I don't know. We could say it nicer, but they lie. And they make stuff up and they twist everything. And and so they've had all these, there's been all these incidents without anybody checking to see if any of those incidents reported actually ever happened. Not a one, no accountability, no check whatsoever. And something like two thirds of the incidents are things like shunning meaning that maybe you went to talk to someone and they turned their back on you. <laughs> you know, I, I think it's rude. I think it's obnoxious. But if that's the extent of, of if racism throughout time and violent movements just practice more shunning, I think we would all be really glad about it. So it's, it's silly stuff. Um, but then the moment that they're looking to give benefits, they kick the Asians out because the Asians committed the ultimate sin. They proved that everything they're talking about is crap because they can do it. And, and look, I didn't get, uh, I did actually get a scholarship, but it wasn't, and it's not like I paid my whole ride to, to college or anything, but you know, I know when I see a person, whether they're black or white or Asian or Hispanic, if I see them do something, I think I can do it too. Because I think I'm just as good as them. And maybe it's a particular sporting event or intellectual exercise that I'm mistaken. I'm not as sharp as they are. I'm not as fast or as strong. But I always feel like I can. Hmm. And... And I think we want people to feel that way. And I think people naturally feel that way. And maybe it helps if they're the same, the same gender, the same area of the country, the same race, the same religion. Who, who knows? Maybe it does. But the bottom line here is that's the sin that that Asians is long. They're willing to allow you in to vote Democratic, but they're not really willing to allow you in because you've committed the ultimate sin of not needing the help. Well, Asians generally have a great clan family system uh, with backups there where the parents and elders expect the youngsters to accomplish things, which is yes, which is an amazing thing. And uh, and Asians generally, those it's they differ widely in the groups. I mean, of course, and individually within the you know, and this, well, that's, that's a case with every group. That's a group yes. case with every yes. major group that's not you know, accomplishment based. Uh, so that's even accomplishment based people differ. So, yeah, I, I, I find all that kind of weird. Um, I don't think I can do everything. So I'm very much unlike you. I don't think I can, I can, I think I can do about five things and uh, everything else. I just, okay, that's somebody else. That's somebody else's job. I don't really know. <laughs> <to do that. laughs> yeah. There, there might be a difference between not wanting to, or not being able to. And, and I admit that 
I'm a pathological optimist. You have to remember. Yeah, I know. I remember that. that there are times when people are going to go, no, 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 Paul, don't <laughs> yeah. try that. <laughs> you think you can do it, but I really think that's a tall building. And do you know, cook the turkey? I do not cook the turkey. Now, I have every confidence I could cook the turkey. And see, this may be a great example uh, because, you know, my wife hasn't been feeling good this week. And, and, uh, and of course, uh, my daughter ended up cooking the turkey and so on. Uh, but I said, well, you know, I could cook it. And, uh, and I, I just know that the confidence level inside was not matched by the confidence level outside. So, well, certainly your daughter decided that she should do the turkey. Yes, yes. And she cooks a mean turkey. Okay. And, of course, the other thing that I realize is push comes to shove, there are businesses out there who would probably find a turkey somewhere and deliver it. So is this a great country or what? Well, uh, speaking of making a living, look at that. It's almost it just it, We just rolled right in. Yeah, allowed to make a living. That's uh, November 23rd, the day before Thanksgiving, I guess. Uh, and there you are talking about someone who uh, was discouraged from making a living by government, but she fought back. Yes, Sally Ladd. And, uh, and I want to mention on the right color only, uh, the Legal Insurrection Foundation uh is the group that that has filed suit against what they're trying to do in providence rhode island so hats off to them thank you very much we're all in this together let's uh fight asinine racism in the in the guise of being anti-racist but uh sally ladd lives in new jersey she helps people in the Poconos, which I thought was in new york and new jersey but i guess and maybe it, i don't know exactly where it is but apparently it's in pennsylvania and a bunch of people had property. They're not, they're, they're just not getting it. You know, maybe it was pandemic related or whatever, but they own property. It's rental property. They're trying to rent it out and, and she helps market it and so on. So she goes to work for them <clears throat> and her business is booming. And the regulators in Pennsylvania shut her down. Um, they make her do all kinds. She's got to get a license. It's, it's, you know, hundreds of hours of study and it's money and it's, it's a delay. There's a time period where she can't work then. And, uh, she has, has managed to, uh, keep her business alive after I think it basically went out of business and, uh, and then came back and, and, uh, anyway, um, I'm looking at the wrong thing because I can't see. <laughs> I don't okay. wear glasses on this, and sometimes I should. You uh, cover the basic story, and then IJ came to the rescue, and uh, they punished the bad guys, right? Yes. I won't say that they punished the bad guys really so much because um, there's, you know, when the, when the government does this, there's yeah. no punishment. And, and that's part of the problem. And, of course, I'm not advocating that there should be some crazy system where every move someone makes in government, they're, you know, taken out and put in, you know, the stocks or something. Um, but, you know, there's a there's probably a happy median somewhere there and we're not anywhere close to that. And there's there's a, I just off the top of my head, it 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 reminds me a little bit of the qualified uh, immunity that police officers, other government officials have, that's not really written into the Constitution anywhere. It's not written, uh, how'd you like that, anyway, where I just worked it into the same word. Uh, and 
And so it's kind of was made up in court. And I think people, you know, can kind of understand why there might be a need for something there so that, again, every move that's made, a policeman who gets out and walks on your yard to check to see if if you're injured, you know, doesn't get arrested for trespassing or something. There's probably some some sensible rules that could be established. But this idea that we just allow people to violate rights and then, you know, if they turn out to be it's okay, then you suffer. And if it turns out to not be okay, you still suffered and there's nothing you can really do about it. That's a problem from a criminal justice standpoint. It's also a problem from a regulatory standpoint. And several years ago in Arizona, they passed a law which every state in the country should pass. And it, it basically said that if you move to Arizona and you have a you know similar license for barber shop maintenance or something, whatever it is, for cutting hair, for uh, you know uh, any sort of, of other license, silly license that you might need to do whatever, you are in essence kind of grandfathered in in Arizona. You are required to then come up to compliance with whatever the regulatory scheme is in Arizona. But instead of having downtime where you can't work while you're getting up to speed, if that's even necessary, you don't have the downtime. They're letting you in. They're recognizing these licenses from other states. And uh, I'm sure that the people who love every of our lives being regulated would let us know if there were big problems, but I haven't heard a peep uh, out of anyone in Arizona. And that same, I mean, that's just the minimal first step. And the other thing is to realize that, you know, in 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, almost no occupation was licensed in the way that we have just dozens and dozens of occupations licensed now. And it makes a real difference. And it makes a difference precisely at the point where we want the world to be pushing the other way. It's exactly at the point where someone says, I'm going to take the initiative. I've got an idea. I'm going to do something that might make me rich, might make me broken <laughs> and poor, but it might make me rich and it might be something a lot of people like, and that's how you get rich. And uh, and and they're just blocked again and again and again. And it means that if you went to college and you got the the diploma and you're going the the kind of the track that I was was laid out for me when I was a kid, well then hey, they're standing there forgiving you for the money. Hey, we'll we'll make that poor guy who who can't get a license to do whatever pay for your college education. But the person who has learned something themselves and can do something to help other people that if it doesn't fit in the regulatory scheme, well then, I mean, like the, the, the hair braiders for the longest time who were told they had to get a barber's license. So they had to go take hundreds of hours about, uh, you know, from, from a barber college to learn to do stuff they're not doing and the barber college couldn't have told them anything about what they were doing. They would have had to train the barber college. Now, <clears throat> that can't make sense to anyone except as a way to keep certain people down. And it 
dawns on me that that's the whole point of freedom and and a free economy is to not allow the government or anybody to keep people down. And uh, it should be mentioned for those people who are skeptical of delicensing society, so to speak, uh, that there this has been a subject hotly debated and discussed by economists. The first really competent discussion that I read was in Capitalism and Freedom by Milton Friedman, where he takes the hardest case, doctors, and defends delicensing them. And he makes a really interesting I, case, and people who were wanting to uh, challenge their heads should actually look at that argument. But beyond that, there's another argument that dovetails with one of your other concerns, is, is that uh, licensing and the proliferation of licensing increases corruption among politicians, because this is special interest groups getting special favors for advantages to keep out the competition. That's what licensing does. It's, yes. not, it's not a magic to make things improve. It's a magic way. That's not magic at all. It's a way to keep uh, co competition low so that it secures the incomes of certain people who are, have, have the right. inside track. Right. Whatever that inside well, track is. One example of this, and we've written about it, I can't remember when, but probably a couple of different times. There are some states where if you want to open up a business as a mover, moving businesses or people from house to house, you have to get the permission of the moving companies that are already going in that state. Now, <laughs> that's, an insane that's, that's not a free enterprise. That's not anything. It, it's just unbelievable. What maybe surprised people uh, is that that's the rule in almost everywhere in the United States in medicine. If you want to open up a new clinic or a hospital, you have to get the permission of the district that does the regulation of medicine. Wow, so I did not know that, Tim. This is one of the wow. one of the major drivers of uh, high costs of medicine and why things are so crazy in this country. There's a whole I bunch of regulations. Because doctors were bad people, evil in their heart. <laughs> it's, it's a crazy system. And uh, thankfully, I mean, new hospitals and new clinics do arise. But, you know, every time the one arises, the other existing hospitals, they have to, I mean, some of their, they have competitors now. And so it's, hard, and you know, it just, you can see the argument for it. It's really easy to see, well, how are we going to make a living? Well, except that that's the question everybody in the market has to face. Right. And we don't really want to make special carve-outs. And maybe uh, a provider that has real troubles providing something at a at a good cost should go down. Maybe maybe there should be turnover. That's not yeah. a, it's, it's not yeah. it's not really the worst thing in the world if the pizzeria down the street goes bust. You know, there's another pizzeria somewhere else in a vibrant economy. You know, we don't need pizzeria licensing. Right. Right. No, and I've I've said even you know the the barbers always come to mind because I'm thinking, what's the worst? And and they'll, they'll kind of justify these on health and safety grounds. And I'm thinking, what what's the danger of a bad haircut? I mean, the hair will grow back eventually. This is really we need a whole government apparatus to control the the huge uncertainty of going to the barber. And and if a barber really cuts hair very badly. I can't imagine that they're in business more than a couple months. And as you know, I haven't cut my hair since, well, I haven't had a professional haircut since COVID started uh, because my 
well, it got very difficult. Now every barber within a hundred miles, as far as I can tell, requires an appointment. It's like going to the doctor. What they've managed to do is make a mildly unpleasant or mildly pleasant, depending on what you what you like your dentist, uh, not dentist, uh, haircutter or not. Right. Barber. Now they've made it to be something basically unpleasant. That is that they've they've added a level of annoyance to the whole enterprise. So I just let my hair grow out. And if if anyone objects, I say, well, you know, blame blame COVID, blame blame the response, blame government, blame everybody else, but don't blame me, you know. Yeah, you have to put up with my hair. Well, my barber and I really like him. I went to to um, well, a hair cuttery or something, but it's like always it's one of these places where you can just walk in. But it seemed like you could walk in, but everybody else had an appointment. <laughs> you can walk in and wait for an hour or so. And so I stumbled upon this barber shop that had one of the old fashioned things. My wife said, well, it sounds like a good place. And, um, and they're great. It's, uh, you know, uh, it's kind of an old fashioned barber shop, and they're, they're quick. And, and they came back very quickly after COVID. And I think largely because we're starving, we need the business. And, uh, you know, I, I really appreciated people who were open during the pandemic and doing stuff. And, uh, and they were very good about that. And there, you you wore masks when I first went back. Yeah, I wasn't going to wear masks that. for a long time. There, I do have a barber that I like, uh, but once again, it's an appointment, and it's, she's kind of expensive. But she serves beer for the clients, free beer when when you go there in the waiting room. Now, if, wow. if that would be more exciting for me if I liked beer, but for a, a normal man, that's probably a a, a real 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 attraction. <laughs> Maybe hard to hard to cut their hair while they're stumbling around the chair. <laughs> well, that was uh, another. I was about to say, hey, I think we're wrapped, but we didn't talk about Rumble Resist, and um, Rumble Resist was uh, today, Friday, uh, and and we have talked, you know, all the time, and we'll continue to about freedom of speech and having platforms where people are allowed to say things, even if. Other people disagree. And uh, one of the uh, the worst places in terms of deplatforming and, and screwing around with things from a political standpoint and from a decidedly pro-big government standpoint is YouTube. And YouTube CEO said during the early days of the pandemic that they, when somebody was expressing concern about them shutting down folks uh, with medical information on their platform, the CEO said that they would basically shut down anything that didn't agree with the World Health Organization. Um, and of course, the, one of the problems with it, it really wouldn't have been any better had they said the US CDC. But here they've chosen the one organization that's in the Chinese communist pocket that was part of the cover-up until the cover-up got so clumsy that even, uh, even what's his name, Tedris couldn't go along with it, the guy uh, who's the head of uh, WHO. And, uh, and so, I mean, what a ridiculous thing. But Rumble has really, uh, this podcast, we put it up on Rumble. We don't even put it up at YouTube anymore. Uh, it's just, it's, it, rumble has, has gotten a lot of big folks on it, not us, but we're getting, going to get bigger, but, uh, what's his name? Now I'm going to forget his name who kind of took over for rush, uh, Don, Dan Bangino, Bongino, uh, boy, <laughs> I really butchered that name and it's an easy one, but, uh, 
and a guy I I know know the name pretty well. So just imagine if it's tough, how badly I'll screw up your name. But um, but anyway, uh, he you know just zoomed on uh, ended up very quickly having more subscribers on Rumble than he did on on YouTube. And uh, well, you know there is such a thing as customer loyalty. And here's a story that makes me very glad we're on Rumble, very confident about being on Rumble, that they aren't going to shut us down if we say something they don't like, because it's not about what they like or don't like. It's about providing a platform where people can speak. And what happened is that the uh, French government uh, demanded that they remove some Russian news sources. Now, if you haven't been watching your share of uh, television news, you might not know that the Russians are evil and bad. And so any of their news sources, it would you'd be doing the whole world a favor to shut them down. And maybe you would in some sense, but not in the sense of building a world in which there's freedom of speech, which is more important than any of the little short-term battles. And, and so what Rumble said was, no, we will stop our service in France. And they're going to court to get the right to be able to be in France without having to shut down these Russian news sites. Um, but, you know, the, the funny thing to me is, <clears throat> do people really think that if we just allow Putin to have his say, that he's going to, like the Pied Piper, just lead every freedom-loving person in the world along in some kind of Russian charade? I mean, he, he can't lead the Russian people along without arresting his opponent. I mean, it's, it's a joke. And what is, you know, as much as, uh, you know, I read stuff about China and their military and their buildup, you have to step back every once in a while and realize they're scared if you show a meme where Xi Jinping is pictured as Winnie the Pooh. They're like, they're beside themselves if one citizen somewhere in some country on the other side of the world says something that they don't like always because it's true. Um, and, and so, you know, this is, this is a, just a wonderful sign from rumble that they're not fooling around, that they really believe in free speech and uh, hats off to them. Best news uh, of the week. And, uh, and I hope other platforms will begin to see what they're doing and, uh, and act accordingly. It's amazing to watch uh, Dr. John Campbell uh, in his recent last month or so of discussion on YouTube. He also has a Rumble channel, but he has to be very cautious, but he's getting right down to it. He now knows what we suspected right along, right early, and we wrote about it as soon as we could, basically, regarding um, the lab origin theory of the origin of coronavirus. And he will now say that uh, he sees that the arguments for the zoonotic origin are almost non, not there at all. There's just zero. And the arguments for the uh, lab leak theory, or more importantly, the gain of function theory, right, is right there. And he explains it very well in a very in a very recent, like a day or two old, uh, 
talk. You he guys is, sent me that link because I don't think I've seen that yet. Unfortunately, recently he's um, as you've improved your lighting in your room. Your lighting looks looks pretty good. He's not improved his lighting as he's gotten down. He doesn't have you. He doesn't have you helping. I don't know what to say, but uh, anyway, yeah. So he looks a little crazy when he's he's actually. I mean, just because he's so red and I mean, he's right right right. there, (laughs) uh, which is makes it hard to share. But he's he's very disappointed in the peer review process. He's basically he says now he thinks you have to be skeptical of everything. Yeah, he, he doesn't want to be. I mean, he is after all. One of his jobs as soon as COVID came around, and the reason he made these great videos was to spread information that he was receiving and take, you know, papers uh, and data and explain it to normal people. That was what his job, he thought, and he was very earnest about it. And he spread a lot. Well, now he says he spread a lot of misinformation because the misinformation was disinformation from government and major scientists. Right. Uh, And he mentions Fauci, and then there's another guy in Britain and so forth. Uh, where they were just basically lying to us, and he he realizes they were lying, and he explains the lie. That's what's so good about Dr. John Campbell. He explains how they did it and what they get wrong. For instance, the difference between evolutionary evolutionary development and uh, controlled evolutionary development. You know, breeding the thing through gain of function. And he noticed that many of the original arguments in the in the peer reviewed articles and the early articles about explaining how it couldn't be a lab origin uh, were just wrong. Is that the the, the, the the arguments didn't make sense, and he's and he and he's obviously expressing regret, and that's being expressed still on YouTube, but it is on Rumble, and you can watch uh, good old uh, Dr. John Campbell on Rumble. You know that that whole issue. Um, it's you know I'm I'm interested. I've become interested. I was interested in the story much more from a political standpoint than from a medical health science. You know I'm not a, a scientist in that way. But I've become more and more interested in the science part of life as opposed to just the political. I figure maybe there's some answers there, please. Anyway, uh, but uh, but I am interested in that now. But this story, if you go to thisiscommonsense.org, search for lab rats, search for Pierre Dasnek's name, you will find dozens of things that we've written with links to a lot more. If you're interested at all in the subject, um, there's a lot at thisiscommonsense.org. And the reason there's a lot is because it seems to me that this is right at the heart of the problems we face and that anybody looking into it, regardless of how they think the origin came about, is going to realize China purposely hid information, which is not all that surprising, but it is surprising how much support and help they got from the U.S. to do it, especially Fauci. Yeah, and that's because they were implicated. I mean, they're implicated in the same thing. I mean, that's and that's the thing also with the the people in Britain. They were a lot of people made a lot of money off of uh, off of uh, COVID. Yes. And, including, and even, including a lot even, of doctors, a lot of doctors who made money off their investments in. Well, well they made that. I mean, the way that they, you know, the, the government did stuff. A, a lot of folks were making money because they're they're paying more to to take care of people with COVID and you know so on and so and on. It's the drugs as well. I mean, that's how Bill yes. Gates made yes. his more billions off of drugs. But but this the it implicates our political system, 
our political system in an area in which I think most people think, oh, they're just all doing good all the time. Why would our medical system be all corrupt? They're just like our local doctors who are very nice and trying to make us healthy. Um, and I think when you realize how corrupt that is, and then when you realize the corruption extends to the news media and that the corruption extends all the way across the Pacific Ocean, which is a mighty big ocean, to China, that there are scientists and government officials in China working with Fauci and his commitment to them comes before and to himself because they're on the same team comes before his commitment to us that's the only that's the only rational response to knowing that Fauci early on was warned by people this could be a lab leak and then conspired with Peter Daznak and other people who would have been implicated in that to hide it, to cover up, to create this diversionary story, to claim over and over again that there's, you know, that's unlikely, no, extremely unlikely, couldn't be. And then to have the audacity a year or so later to be asked about it and to say, well, I've always said that we should be looking into that. That is, to me, I, I had people early on say very nasty things about uh, Fauci, and I had one a uh, woman uh, uh, very close with her and her husband who uh, was very anti-Fauci about all kinds of things, but told me, and this is her way uh, and his too, said, just watch. You're going to be very surprised by how how dirty Fauci is. And uh, and boy, was she right. And it's I always love people like that who, instead of telling you what you ought to believe exactly, just says, just take a look, Paul. <laughs> and uh, he he has, I, I can't say, gee, I just disagree with him on medical stuff. Or, gee, I just, just disagree with him on this issue or that issue. I think Anthony Fauci is a crook. He's dirty. Uh, he probably wouldn't hit you with a stick and steal your wallet. But if he could get someone else to hit you with a stick and bring your wallet to him, I think he might do that because that's tantamount to the way he has behaved. I'm highest paid employee of our entire government in office for decades. What was it? 50 years uh, and made all kinds of money. How did he make all that money, not just from his salary, but from all kinds of other deals that come through and the people in our society, the media, the progressive left from the think tank, community they don't care they don't give a hoot they don't want to know about it they're not going to report it if you just laid it out in front of them they're part of the collusion they're part of the scheme well the scheme is big business united with big government with subsidies <laughs> and direction from a central area that's their philosophy that's the nature of corruption. You could almost define corruption and their philosophy in the same terms. And now, right. now everybody and they're right has, there to, to take the money coming in. They're yeah, right there on the right. spot to say, here, write the check and hand it to me. 
And it's really no different from what James Bill, excuse me, James Mill was talking about the insiders versus outsiders in, in government, yes. the, the, the same class theory. And it, it class is the kind of the wrong word. What we're talking here is interest group theory. Yes. And, and, uh, and there's nothing wrong with having an interest group. I have an interest group. Uh, I, I can show you one of my interests right now. That's, that's an interest. That's that, that was a, that what was, was a that? that was a, a musical synthesizer. Oh, oh, that's okay. what I thought. Okay. Yeah, there's a, I have a number of friends who are interested in synthesizers. And, it, it, and they should be subsidized. I mean, we shouldn't have to pay full price for synthesizers. I well, mean, come on. <laughs> it should be noted that that, that actually is a is a, a interesting case where competition, there's more synthesizers in production now than ever before in human history. And it's a big, it's a big thing. The musicians just like them, and it's just kind of fun. Now, it's, a, it's a, just a hobby with me. I like it. My friends like it. But we are an interest group. But if we started applying the government, then our nature would change and it would the industry would change and people should concern themselves is when does a group with with shared interests become an interest group with shared advantages through government? And that's where it all happens. And we should be very skeptical of that when that change happens right now. We can, I, can, I, I think I can swear that the musical synthesizer community is not a government sponsored interest group. We don't get any subsidies. Let's see how long that can last. Well, I uh, I want to say happy Thanksgiving to everybody. It's past, so hope you had a, a good Thanksgiving. And uh, we did a a uh, meme on Thanksgiving. It was a quote by Henry David Thoreau: "I am grateful for what I am and have. My Thanksgiving is perpetual." And I'd like the uh, the perpetual. I think that was kind of important that uh, it's it's uh, it's good to be in that frame of mind. My brother had a uh, uh, meme or just wrote it on his page and he said it before. Maybe he's gotten it from somewhere uh, or maybe he's just brilliant and thought it up himself. But it's good. It's uh, make America grateful again. And I think it's the, I've heard all kinds of takeoffs on Trump, which was a smart, smart slogan, you know, for political advantage. Uh, but that's the best takeoff I've heard on it. Just that, uh, and, and I'll just speak for myself. Um, when I, I, and I tell my kids this sometimes, it's like, we always do our best work after our biggest mistakes. A little bit of humility is like golden with, you know, any entrepreneurial activity, any anything. Humility is a wonderful thing, but it's amazing how fast we lose it, how quick we become cocky. Uh, so my, my line is always don't get cocky, um, but we do. And, uh, and I think in a broader sense, from a uh, from a personal standpoint, from a political standpoint as well, um, being grateful and thinking about what we have prevents the irreality, unreality. I almost made up a new word. Uh, Irreality um, is a word. Oh, is it? Well, well, then what the heck? If I can't make it up, I'm not going to use it now. If it's someone else's, um, but. Uh, but anyway, I'm going to lose my train of thought now. But but um, the, the bottom line is when we think about what we have and appreciate it, it helps us 
look to, well, how do we, we always want to change it. We always want to make it better. But I think so often there's no sense of the fact that we have a lot of things that are good, that work. The whole history of mankind, we've been getting better on a lot of different ways. And I think especially in, in analyzing the United States of America and our government, it has it has stunk in every way you can imagine, except that it had some ideas that were brilliant, that even in failing to reach the full pinnacle of those ideas by a long shot, trying to has been wonderful. And the whole world, you know, people have different times. Well, you know, they don't like America, different places and so on. And um, and my experience has really been that that's not so so true. But of course, they like and they don't like, like everything else, the freedom, the ability to say what you want to say without being thrown in some prison cell. They like that everywhere in the world. The idea of some military intervention that that you know was propping up some dictator. Funny, they don't like that at all. And neither do we. And so it's it's uh, anyway, I think. And of course, this can be, you know, when you look at the racial politics, it doesn't change the fact that the U.S. has made all kinds of mistakes and people have done terrible things who maybe still need to pay a price for what they did. Um, but it 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 looks at, I think, you know, when we think about all that we have, it tells us that, you know, everything isn't wrong. We don't need a revolution where we destroy everything that has been built up that's good. And uh, so that's the most anti-revolution thing I think I've ever said. Very good. Well, wouldn't it be weird to have a revolution in gratefulness? Though I don't know how far it will take us, but it might start. It would, it, it would be a revolution. I think we'd have to be the least afraid of it running out of, you know, of, of it getting out of control, a revolution of gratefulness. So gratefulness run amok is not a problem. For the future. <laughs> That's right. On that note, Tim, I think, uh, I think people have gotten their money's worth and then some. This has been This Week in Common Sense, starring Paul Jacob. My name is Timothy Verkula, and you'll see us later on Rumble or listen to us on SoundCloud, but go to thisiscommonsense.org. It's easier to find us there.